The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is Friday, and we've got lots to talk about, of course, on the possible reopening plans, and we want to go downtown in a moment, but I just got to mention here, yesterday I I thought I had a near-miss paper cut, like I slid some paper along my knuckle, and I thought, woo, and I watched and waited for it to start bleeding, but it didn't, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm out of the woods, but then I put on some sanitizer this morning and realized, nope, mm. there it is. <laughs> yeah. We should have a chat sometimes on the worst non-injuries, you know, when you get a paper cut, and for the rest of the day, you're like, ah, this paper cut is really killing me, and it's just the tiniest of slivers, or when you stub your toe and you swear for 17 extra minutes, like they're non-injuries. Hangnail? Hangnail? Oh, oh, aggravating. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like they're just nonsense. And there you are all day long. Guys, you gotta check out. Look at this nail. And people are like, I can't, I don't see what you're I don't see what you're seeing. And you're like, you, it's been bugging me for days. Or you've got that stray eyelash or stray eyebrow oh. and it interferes with your vision and you just can't <laughs> quite put your fingers on it. I get this eyelash that once a month I have to pluck because it grows in, like it pokes into my eye. Oh and no! You know it's coming, and it's like it's like I'm always I'm always looking around the room or asking a friend at work, got any uh, tweezers there? And to the point where people are like, "Is this the eyelash thing again? Like you think someone like you would just travel with a uh, <laughs> with know, tweezers? With, with tweezers? What's your deal?" And last night there I was in the bathroom like ah, this <laughs> eyelash like. <laughs> Is there a band called Inward Eye? Yes, <laughs> Inward yes. Eyelash. That's me. I got an inward eyelash. I've got the palest of eyelashes anyway, so you never see it coming. And then I basically have to get a magnifying glass just to get in the mirror to see it. It drives me nuts, much like a paper cut, Brett. So I feel you. I feel this non-pain. I did have an ingrow. No, I don't, it's kind of gross, but I ever had an ingrow, ingrown toenail? Oh, God, nope. don't even. Nope. That's, not, that's not pleasant, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> don't but Google my, that. I Googled that the other day because I had a hangnail, and I was like, what is the difference between a hangnail and a <laughs> ingrown? Yeah. Big difference. It, it ingrown sounds anything's horrible. Yeah, my dad wanted to actually murder the doctor as he was fixing my problem because it sounded like I was in a medieval torture chamber. <laughs> so he could hear me from the waiting room just screaming in pain. So yeah, that's not fun. But uh, yeah, you know what? I'll mark that down for a po- uh, possible talk- topic next week because yeah, there are a lot of stupid injuries. Like I almost broke my finger in a grocery cart once. It got like sort of twisted up. Um, so I felt really dumb about that. Yeah, but- and here I've had two babies and you know, I'm not trying to go down the road of like, oh, you have you don't know pain until you've had labor. But even then, I will still stub my toe and be like, oh, that just hurts so bad. And then I think to myself, like, you've pushed out an eight pound. I feel like, you know, your benchmark here for pain is pretty skewed. Oh, that is great. Okay, so yes, Friday. Let's go down. Let's start downtown. Uh, what happened yesterday, guys? Well, it's... So you'd think at a time like this, when so many businesses are struggling, that an ask from the downtown biz for $36,000 in a grant that would help them come up with a strategy and better target how to help downtown businesses would be like a easy vote at City Hall, right? We know that tons of businesses are struggling in all sorts of neighborhoods. In in the downtown, 37 businesses, uh, the executive director and CEO, Kate Penske, said yesterday, 37 businesses have closed for good. More than half are operating at less than half of their income. And so the, the hits keep coming for so many people. She went to council yesterday uh, with a proposal for a 36000 grant, one that's already been matched essentially by Center Venture. And the vote was 8-7. So eight people actually voted in 
in favor of this, seven voted against, but you need a two-thirds majority at council, Greg. And so this didn't pass. And so downtown biz, uh, I don't know if seething was the right word, but she was flustered and confused. We'll play some of her audio. And, and Kate's never flustered. Uh, she's a remarkable speaker and, and advocates so passionately on behalf of her downtown businesses and downtown residents. And to hear that City Hall decided that this money wasn't necessary, I'm a bit confused. To bring some radio jargon into the conversation and carry over our discussion from yesterday, I had a parking lot moment yesterday when Richard Kluche said that Kate Fenske was upset about something that happened at City Hall. So I waited through four minutes of commercials, delightful commercials here on 680 CJOB, waiting for Kate Fenske to come on. And then Julie and Richard described the vote and how it went and who voted for what and who voted against what. And then when Kate Fenske said $36,000, I couldn't believe my ears. It wasn't $3.6 million or $360,000. It was $36,000 for essentially some social media campaigning and basically a a kickstart to get things going for when we are able to reopen things at another level. I I was flabbergasted. And Kate, as you mentioned, uh, Loren, is never flustered. And Brett, she sounded livid. Mm -hmm. I think about as livid as as you can hear from someone who's trying to be political and diplomatic. Well, you know what? I thought the 36,000, I thought I heard that wrong. I thought it can't be. It can't be. It can't be that. Uh, for us, a vote over $36,000 for like me to give that to you, that's a conversation. At City Hall, I don't, I don't know. To, it's yeah, nothing. To help businesses, especially when nearly 40 businesses in the area have shut down, uh, only 18% of people who usually work downtown are still yeah. in the area. So, yeah, this is, um, this is a head scratcher. So we'll have more on this throughout the morning coming up at 7.07. We're going to speak with Janice Lukes, counselor from Waverly West. She was... Uh, she was not in support, right? She's one of the no votes? Yeah, she's one of the no votes. Uh, there were seven no votes among them. Kevin Klein, Sean Nason, Marcus Chambers, Debbie Sharma, uh, a couple, uh, Ross Eady, and, and we'll name them again because the no is important. The yeses are important too, depending on how you come down on this, and then you can decide for yourself. And she's going to explain. I think there's some policy questions in place, maybe a bit of politicking. I, I don't know, but we'll get study. more from her after seven. We need a study or a committee, <laughs> a commission. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, John K. Sampson, and the Weakerthins sharing what we think is a song about self-loathing with curling as the analogy. <laughs> Part of the Tournament of Hearts as we explain the Scotties over the next three days. So ah, uh, yes. I was asking Loren, I need a music bed as I run down what's going to happen at the Scotties over the next three days. And she points me to this song. Of course, there's no genuine music bed. There's no guitar solo. So we'll bring it down a little bit. Great song. So here's what's happening at the Scotties. The 18-team original pool of teams has now been reduced to the 18-team championship pool, they're calling it. Each team carries their accumulated record with them into this draw. So they will now play four games each. All games are between teams that have not yet to play one another. So let's focus on the Manitoba teams. Four of them, four of the five that started the tournament through to this round. Today at 1.30, Kerry Anderson and Team Canada will play Saskatchewan. Wildcard Team Flurry from Manitoba, skipped by Chelsea Carey, will face Rachel Holman of Ontario. Holman and Anderson are 7-1, and one. Flurry's 5-3. and three. 
also at 1.30. Manitoba's Jennifer Jones, 6-2 crew, will face Beth Peterson's Manitoba wildcard team, who are 5-3. Peterson stole points in the 10th and the extra end in her final game yesterday to find her way into the championship pool. You got that so far? Brett, Loren, good? Okay, so three more draws to follow. One tonight, two tomorrow. Every draw will feature at one game with two Manitoba teams facing one another. The top three teams go through to the playoffs. First place team goes straight to the gold medal game on Sunday. A semi-final will feature the second and third place teams. Do not ask me about tiebreakers. So this is a different rule, this first place team going straight to the gold medal game, I Correct. believe. I think in the past they've had to go through uh, the playoff round as well. So that's neat, depending on how you feel about that kind of structure. I have loved having all this curling on. It's been really amazing to watch. I've enjoyed all the teams. Even I watched the Northwest Territories game yesterday, but I have found myself super confused with the wildcard teams because they're basically mostly Manitoba, but that just says WC on the team. And so I, I've right. been watching and yelling, which team am I watching until they show, you know, the skip and I can identify them by the by their face or their name on the jacket. So I found that difficult. And even yesterday or Thursday I was watching and they uh, Manitoba was playing PEI, I believe it was, but they had it down as PE. And so for a good 10 minutes, I'm like, is there another team under PE? <laughs> like, am I not? Where's the I? Did we just suddenly decide it's not really an island or something? So there's been a few moments where I've been confused by the structure and there's just way more teams than I remember seeing in the past. But I'm excited for the four of five to make it on. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, that uh, steal, two steals uh, from Beth Peterson yesterday, incredibly exciting. One of our former colleagues who still works in radio here in Winnipeg is the fiancé of Beth Peterson. And uh, he had a little bit of a rough go, he said. So that's, that's, a heart, that's what a heart attack feels like. <laughs> to which I said, does it feel like uh, the way I feel after I have hash browns from McDonald's? Uh, because that's sort of an instant heart attack. So, yeah, he's excited. And we're excited for the Manitoban teams advancing at the Scotties. We are now getting a clearer picture on what the next month and a half could look like in Manitoba. Greg? Yeah, with the province announcing yesterday a number of possible restrictions, which could be loosened starting as early as Friday. Global's Joe Scarpelli has more on what's being considered. Manitobans could choose to continue having two designated visitors over or instead decide to designate a second household to be their bubble. Outdoor gathering limits could be raised to 10. Increasing capacity at places of worship to 25% is also being considered. All businesses except for indoor theatres, concert halls and bingo halls could be allowed to operate. We might see limits at retail stores and restaurants raised to 50%, although you still wouldn't be able to eat at a restaurant with anyone outside your household. Day camps and indoor recreation and sporting facilities might get the green light to open with limits. Group fitness classes could also be allowed to resume at 25% capacity. And anyone taking part in physical activity could be allowed to ditch their masks. No one really wants us to Uh, reopen widely and then again have to uh, go back and close things again. We're going to put this out, we're going to get some feedback and we'll uh, then review that and, and make an announcement next week. That announcement next week should include what public health orders will look like come March 5th. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. 
And so there are two dates to watch for here, guys. Lots of could'ves, coulds, shoulds, maybes, things to consider here. So none of this is written in stone yet. Uh, the province is looking at easing these restrictions in two phases, March 5th and March 26th. So some of what's on the table could come next week or the rest might come at the end of the month or there might be just something in between. And so there's some people who might be slightly celebrating with what might be proposed for gyms. Uh, it could be a win because... Many of those gyms only offer group classes and up till now they haven't been able to have those. And so that could be one of the changes next week for, say, spin or yoga studios. But for restaurants, the possibility of moving from 25 to 50 percent capacity isn't really exciting them. Sean Jeffrey is the executive director of the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association. The additional restriction of increasing a capacity limit is, is going to make very little uh, difference in a restaurant because the household restrictions itself just really limits the amount of amount of business that will actually go into a restaurant because it's really uh, coordinating off the amount of business that they can get. Absolutely a fair point, I think. And I know that uh, the Retail Council of Canada, the Prairie representative, is looking to lobby the government to see if they can change that capacity rule. So the Restaurant Association wants to have a bit more dialogue with the province guys. But basically what they're saying is gatherings are the issue, right? There's very little changes to those gathering rules. You might be able to add a household, but that's the only thing you can do or stick to your two designated people. It's an either or, and you can't go out anywhere with them in an indoor setting. So they're basically still saying, Greg, gatherings are the problem. Well, and if that's what they're saying, and uh, well, it's uh, pretty loud and clear that that's exactly what they're saying. The rules and regulations, especially for restaurants, would indicate that they are doing everything they can for people to make the excuse to stay home versus make the excuse to go out. And let's face it, Brett, at lunchtime, if you're going out for lunch, you're not going to lunch with anyone from your household. Correct. You're going to be going with somebody that you work with, or that would be the desire, or to meet up with somebody, a work colleague, or somebody for business, someone you haven't seen. And I heard uh, read Jay Kilgore's tweet, uh, the, who operates the Finn pubs in town. He says, let's face it, most people, when they want to go out to dinner, they want to get away from the people they're with all the time inside their household. Yeah, he says you could open restaurants at 200% capacity and it wouldn't change a thing with the household-only rules still in place. Stop pretending like you're helping us. And then he went on to say, I might mess around and change my pub into a church or a furniture store so you can see your friends. So, yeah, rest some restaurant reaction. Uh, not to be, Of course they're not happy about it. <laughs> McGarry and McNabb, Mr. Potato Head is no longer a mister. Hasbro, the company that makes the potato-shaped plastic toy, is giving the spud a gender-neutral name. Simply Potato Head. The change will appear on boxes this year. Toy makers have been updating their classic brands to appeal to kids today. Barbie has shed its blonde image and now comes in multiple skin tones and body shapes. Thomas the Tank Engine added more girl characters. And American Girl is now selling a boy doll. Hasbro says that Mr. Potato Head, which has been around for 70 years, needed a modern makeover. So we wanted to ask you, which toy do you wish you still had? Or which toy do you still have? Text us at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia. And if you got a picture, if you have still have the toy and you can snap a pic, that'd be awesome. 204-780-6868. Let's go around the horn here. Greg Mackling, let's start with you. I see you have harvested some audio. Just press play, Brett McGarry. Star Wars figures. R2-D2. <laughs> 
Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. They were so popular... They didn't even have them to sell you. You just bought an empty box, essentially, then sent away, filled in your little card, sent them away saying, yes, I paid for this. Please send me a Luke Skywalker, a Chewbacca, what have you. So we had pretty much, I would say, half at least of these action figures from Star Wars. But the very best of the group was my brother got in, for Christmas in 78, the 14-inch Chewbacca. I just looked it up on eBay. I was horrified as to how much it would sell for. You can still get one for under 100 bucks. so I'm relieved by that. Wow. And I love the the deadline from somewhere between February 1st and June 1st. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have patience. Well, Well, that's happening. Six to eight weeks for delivery. That's happening a lot right now in the pandemic. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people post things like, I forgot I ordered this. Like one of our (laughs) colleagues, Kristen Moran in promotions, ordered some dumbbells from Bowflex. And she forgot she ordered them because she ordered them so long ago. So, yeah, uh, people still getting caught up in the mail. Skylar Peters in for Cam Poitras. What you got? Oh, my roommate. Oh, here I am. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> on that, on that uh, mailing note, my roommate Keaton uh, just gave me my Christmas present yesterday. <laughs> so uh, that was nice of him. A wow. little bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, for toys, I like this is actually uh, maybe this is a good exercise. And, and if someone out there knows what this was called, this would be great because my mom has kept this like huge box of um, they're like just like a like a modular like train system. And you can like build a track with wooden blocks and they kind of like link into each other like a puzzle piece would. And oh, I you, know, know what you can build ramps and, and curves and and whatnot. And I have like so many pieces. Um, but I'm like missing some, right? And, and you can get like cool features and stuff. So uh, is that Melissa and Doug stacking trains? Like I'd I'd have to look it up. Like I, I really don't know. But I just I spent like hours playing with that as a kid, and I think my mom has kept it around, you know, hoping I have grandkids one day. But uh, <laughs> good, good luck with that, mom. Or stay patient. Um, but yeah, and and then the the other thing would be like I, I spent a lot of time playing uh, PlayStation Two. When I was a kid, and I'm scared, I want to get another one, and you know, like relive that nostalgia. But I'm scared the graphics are just going to be so bad because I'm used to, you know, playing on the new Xbox and stuff that uh, it's going to like ruin it for me. So it's been like three years of this internal struggle. I still play with my uh, original Nintendo Entertainment System, dude. So nice, eight bit. Yeah, the graphics. (laughs) Yeah, like you said, the nostalgia will will rule the day. Okay, good to know. There, go to PNP Games. I bet you they can set you up on that one. Loren, what about you? Well, just want to say that I never had a potato head growing up, and it was just this Christmas that you, Brett McGarry, gave me one that was in your parents' basement, I think, for the past 30 or so years. No, and so we I think I, I actually, uh, it was a gift. Bought it as an adult? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was given to me, I don't know, about 10 years ago, but okay. I never opened it. Uh, I don't know why I never opened it, but I guess it's because I knew one day it would find a proper home. Well, it, the home is here. We have played with it. And as an aside, I've been reading this morning some of the tweets on this whole potato head, which has sparked an entire com- controversy. The potato has both male and female parts, you should know. So it can be either Mr. or Mrs. because 
that's the flower on it. So I had, I love the scientists weighing in on the Mr. Potato Head controversy. Um, for me, I always wished I had the piano mat, you know, that was in Dr. Mr. Big, where they dance on mm. that piano mat. Oh, um, yeah. we, never, we never had that, but I feel like I could still get that. And that would be awesome for me, if not for the kids. I wish I had kept my Cabbage Patch doll. I don't know what I would do with it, but man, that thing went with me a lot of places. His name was Andre Terrence. That's the name he came with. Terrible name as far as I'm concerned. But he was a beautiful ball little baby and Andre I don't know where you went but I miss you buddy uh, Jeff Braun I wish I'm, I'm back on video games I wish I still had my original uh, Nintendo entertainment system I used to play that a lot when I was a kid and uh, this past year I think it would have come in handy on some of the you know more boring days I wish I had some video games to get into and I can't get the new ones because once they put more than two buttons on that controller, that was it for me. I, was like, nope, I don't have the hand eye, whatever you Why need. Why are there so many work. buttons, though? It's ridiculous. It's like, like, I'm like, like, you just you need an A, you just you need direction yeah, and, a shoot, and, a, exactly. and a shooter and a gun. Yeah. Why is there 97 buttons? But Greg, when you play video games with your boys, don't they? Isn't there a way to disable some of the buttons? Yeah, they say, "Do you want us to put it in 1994 mode?" Yeah, they call it, they call it like classic mode yes, or like heritage mode. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Me My either. girlfriend's kids, when they play uh, video game hockey against me, and I ask, "Well, what button do I do to pass?" and they're like, "I don't know." They just won't tell me because they just want to beat me so bad at it. <laughs> Which they could do on a level playing field, but they're also not about to help me. Jeff Forte. Fisher-Price toys, like the classic ones, and just like Skylar, they're all at my parents' place, you know, waiting for grandkids, which, uh, you know, ladies, hello. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that's going to bring him in. <laughs> you won't have to spend money on toys. <laughs> yeah, my mom's got all our toys set if you want to come on over. <laughs> 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 There's a Fisher Price uh, boathouse that I used to have for bath time. It always make bath time fun, you know. I, I might go to my parents' place, pick that up, and you know, that, have some put, fun in the bath. Put that on your Bumble profile. Always makes <laughs> bath time fun. Just oh <laughs> 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 so text us 204 780 6868. Your chance to win a Santa Lucia pizza $20 gift oh card. Which God. toy do you wish you still had, or which toy do you still have? The downtown Winnipeg Biz is vowing this morning to find another way to keep fighting for that community after City Hall rejected a bid to grant the Biz a $36,000 grant that would go towards a recovery strategy. Yeah, not $36 million, $3.6 million or $360,000, $36,000. Kate Fenske is the CEO of the Downtown Biz and says over the past year, close to 40 businesses have shut down for good and among the smaller businesses Businesses 60% are making less than half their normal sales. And so yesterday, Fenske made a pitch to city councillors for the grant, which already had $35,000 in support from Centre Venture. I have to apologize. I'm a, I'm a bit flustered here. Um, I can't believe the outcome um, and the politics uh, that actually happened at our council. Um, seven of 15 Winnipeg councillors voted against a downtown recovery strategy uh, pinning it on process and playing politics. Um, so I'm really disappointed with those results. Uh, I do. I don't think anyone could have expected it. 
So there were seven votes against, eight four. But due to some policy issues, this vote needed two thirds approval, and so the downtown biz lost. And among the seven no's, Kevin Klein, Sean Nason, Debbie Sharma, Jason Schreier, Ross Eady, Marcus Chambers, and Janice Lukes. Lukes is the councillor for Waverly West and joins us now. Good morning, Janice. Pardon me, just technical glitch. Stand by. Here we go. Hello there, Janice Lukes. Yes. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time, Janice. I know you had a late night at City Hall. There was a lot of things debated yesterday, particularly with this downtown biz vote. Why did you vote no? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to thank very much Kate Fensky for coming down. She's an outstanding champion of the downtown biz. And um, as a former business owner myself, I, I just I can't fathom what the, well I can fathom what the businesses are going through. It's just uh, it's a devastating time. And uh, yesterday, what what council has is council has policies that we follow, and the particular application or the request that was made um, asked to asked to um, violate the criteria that was laid out. The policy has criteria and a report that must be presented to council. So there was there was uh, a request to violate the criteria, and there was no report to council. So I got up. I spoke in favor of of the plan because they want to make a plan. Um, two years ago, when we were doing the budget process, downtown biz came and wanted to have funding to make a plan for the downtown. This is pre-COVID. I was actually quite surprised there was no plan. Really supported the idea of a plan, having a plan. Um, but for whatever reason, the plan funding was not included in the budget two years ago. Um, in this recent budget, for whatever reason, um, through Executive Policy Committee and the Mayor, the plan wasn't included. More so needed because of COVID. But council, like we, we have to follow policy. If we don't, so, so Janice, we end, to be clear, you're not against fires. We end up with fire stations being built on land that we don't own. I mean, this, so this is not the same, but it, it's it's just, we just have to follow policy. So this isn't money. It's not about the thirty six thousand dollars. It's about the fact you don't think you had enough details. Well, we didn't. When criteria is waived or asked to be, you know, waived, violated, and there is no report to council, we can't we can't just do this. Like otherwise, we'd be we have many, many people coming asking for money, and we have to have a system. We have to have process. And, and the mayor's been very adamant about process and following process and systems. He's put a lot of good ones in place, and he ensures everyone follows them. So, obviously, almost half of council felt that process wasn't being followed. And, you know, I, I just, we just can't be giving away money unless we follow a process. So you mentioned that there was a request to violate the criteria. Was that something that you could have voted on on this one instance to do that? And if so, was it voted upon, Councillor Lukes? Well, it was, and it was eight to seven. That was the vote. So now, the vote the vote didn't have to do with money. It had to do with the criteria and overriding the the criteria in order to actually vote on the money. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Correct, correct. Like, I mean, $36,000. I mean, $36,000 is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But in the big picture of a $2 billion operation, um, it's trumps, right? So it's not it's not the money at all. It's not the money at all. It's the process. It's the policy. And Mayor Bowman's been very adamant about process and policy, and he set a lot of rules and guidelines up because, there, you know, there were a lot of nefarious activities occurring 
years ago. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Janet, I just want to jump in quickly because it's my understanding this plan you're talking about in terms of not seeing a plan from the biz two years ago. That's, I think, an exchange district biz plan you might be referencing and not the downtown biz. But we can work to clear that up uh, throughout, yes, okay. the, sure. throughout the day. I, I, think there, I think there might be uh, differing issues there. So they're working there on the plan. There is confusion on the plan, yes. Right. And, and if I look at the votes, there might be some who say this is an urban versus downtown thing. All the... the sorry, uh, suburb versus downtown thing, that all the outliers were the people on the edges of the city. And, and so the people in the downtown might feel like that's part of the problem. Would you agree? No, I, I wouldn't agree with that one. I mean, if you wanted to sort of look at it, you might say, it's, is, is this an EPC versus not EPC? Could be that. That would be a better lens to maybe look through it at. But really, it came down to the fact of we have to follow policy. We can't just be handing out money because someone brings a motion forward. Janice Lukes, thank you so much for your time. We very much appreciate it. Thank you. Listen to this. The chief executive of the fund that manages Canada Pension Plan Investments has resigned after it was revealed he decided to travel to the United Arab Emirates where he arranged to be vaccinated against COVID-19. So we'll have more on that, I'm sure. (laughs) throughout the day. <laughs> you know, this guy's obviously pretty smart in the job that he does. How can you be so D-U-M-B? Seriously. Oh, nobody will notice. Nobody will find out about this. I'm just going to slide over to the UAE, get myself vaccinated, and slide back to Canada. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. There's, there's a whole lineup of the super rich flying all over the world for this vaccine, running companies with people who are doing their good work and not in an early line for a vaccine. So, yeah. The tone deaf? What is the word for that? Stupid? At the D-U-M-B? Very- what was, what, I, spell it again? I didn't catch that. Yeah, I don't like morning. to use stupid or dumb, but <laughs> nope, so I spelled not, dumb. <laughs> that's fair. They're not allowed in our house either. I hope the kids aren't up. GMAC, I see you shaking your head in there. Well, what else can you say other than, you know, Loren used the terminology tone deaf. It, it, we got a text message from one of our listeners that says, oh, are you going to make fun of or or berate those that travel around the world for different surgeries, MRIs, that sort of thing? I mean, I know people have gone to Germany to get their knees replaced. No, those are legitimate things. And uh, right now, there's a travel ban in Canada. And if this gentleman has some sort of immunocompromised situation, Loren, I suggest or suspect, he would be higher up on the priority list and either should be making No, you wouldn't be getting on a plane. If you were immunocompromised and worried about your health, you would be staying hunkered down in your home, from what I understand from people we've spoken to within Winnipeg's community who are in this position or who are cancer survivors or going through other treatments. They're doing their best to stay home because they don't want to put themselves out there. So you you want that vaccine as soon as possible, but would you risk getting on a plane for it? So that's, you know, it's not just about going out of his way, out of country to Dubai for this vaccine. It, it's about jumping a queue and, and putting others at risk and violating the travel order that's in place right now. That's how I see it. Well, and if you think you had a genuine reason or a reason that makes sense, then wouldn't you just come out publicly and say, hey, I'm pursuing this. I'm looking to get permission to travel. This is essential travel for me because A, B, C, and or D. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. More reaction coming in, Loren? 
Well, I was just more thinking about the idea that um, we talked about. I don't think the immunocompromised, at least in Manitoba, are higher up on the queue than anyone else. I'm not sure what the case is in Ontario and Quebec where this gentleman moves back and forth with. And so he might be thinking it's going to take too long for him to get in the queue. But again, he's a 54-year-old. We don't have any indication that there's any underlying conditions that would have him exponentially worried over another person. So I just wanted to clarify that because we know that there have been some questions from those within the immunocompromised community about why they're not higher up in the queue. But he's 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 not in any category that would, as far as I can tell, would have him even wanting to make this decision. So I, I don't know. I just think if you're if you're an average Canadian looking at this, it's the same with that couple that flew to Alaska. Uh, I think they were a Vancouver couple. Mm-hmm. He was a rich business guy, flew to Alaska, lied about what they were doing. I mean, I just think that all that is very troubling. And right now we want to talk about the trails. I was so sad when I walked by, walked over the Osborne Bridge a couple of days ago. I guess it was would have been Tuesday or whatever. After that mild weather on Monday, the, the tr- part of the trail from Osborne to Hugo was effectively eliminated, Greg. Yeah, and I think you could say the season has been largely fantastic for our riverways and getting outside to the ODRs and different ponds around the city, around the province, just cold enough to freeze and up until February, warm enough to use them frequently. But the melt we saw earlier this week has all but ruined some of those ODRs while the work definitely needed to be done on some of the trails around town. Yes, we want to figure out how they're looking, what's up for this weekend. And we're joined now by Claire McKay, VP of Strategic Initiatives for the Forks. Good morning, Claire. Good morning. Slushy go there for a while. How's it looking this morning? Um, well, as you noted, we are definitely closed uh, for the season from uh, Osborne to Hugo. Um, but the rest of the trail is looking pretty good. I mean, we're getting to the point now that... Um, after this weekend, we're probably 50-50 in terms of how much longer we'll be able to, to keep it going. Um, but March 1st is generally when that happens, and that's that's Monday. <laughs> there have been really, I mean, you guys have been busy for most of the year. Anytime I've gone for a walk on nicer days, uh, on the colder days, it only uh, either hearty or foolish souls like me uh, go out. And you can choose to, which of those two words you like. But any numbers and just how many people have been getting out for a skate or a walk or even the skiing? Well, we've definitely seen larger numbers in terms of uh, people on the trail. Uh, we don't actually have uh, specific numbers because our, our our Forks Market is where we actually have the counters. And obviously, because it was closed for a good portion of the season, we aren't able to sort of capture what that really looked like. Even when we opened at 25% capacity, it doesn't give you a true reflection. But, I mean, anecdotally, you looked on the trail, we definitely had more people probably that had never been out on the trail before um, coming from different access points. We had different activities that people could try this year. We had cross-country skiing for the first time for the almost the entire length of the trail. And we added some um, fat tire bike routes as well. So we were giving people different options. And so that brought out people who maybe don't skate. Um, so and, and then tons of walkers as well. Claire, is there a chance here, I'm trying to find the silver lining in all of this, all the people that we've seen, and you mentioned there that it's your thought that there are people that were at the Forks this year that have maybe never been on the skating trail. Could we extrapolate that to maybe have never been to the Forks and all its wonderment? Could that translate into some serious business when businesses get back to usual operating hours and, and no restrictions? Could this 
have really been a genuine introduction to the forks for, for a big part of our population. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. It quite possibly could have been. I think what was challenging for us is, you know, our mission statement is to be the meeting place. And for most of the last year, we haven't been able to be that. Um, even when we were able to offer up the, the Centennial River Trail, um, our buildings were closed. So we may have had, a, you know, a large amount of people passing our doors, but they couldn't come in. So our tenants um, couldn't take advantage of that. So, you know, there are silver linings in, in lots of this. We are really grateful to have been able to bring the trail to uh, to Winnipeg and, you know, so um, really amazed by what other neighbourhoods have done this year along the rivers. I think it really, you know, public space and outdoor activity has really been um, what has been a saviour for a lot of people as they as they try to battle, um, you know, lockdown and fatigue. Uh but I think it really has proven the value of public spaces um, and and the ability to see each other, even if it's from a physical distance. I'm curious, you know, we talk about the good and the bad and trying to find the silver lining. And, and we're talking about an easing of restrictions next week. But as you mentioned, the Forks is so much a, a meeting place and that commons area that's been created that's been so fabulous has these long sharing tables, really, if you want to call them that, where groups would get together, which we still can't and still won't be able to even if we ease some of these restrictions in the in the days ahead, Claire. And so what challenges does that pose for a place like the Forks when it comes to either just eating there or capacity limits on that huge space? Well, just like everybody else, we've been adapting um, for the last year to whatever the current health restrictions are. And so the easing uh, again uh, to take us to 50% capacity will, you know, will, will morph and change uh, again, if that becomes reality, but it does, you know, it has an impact um, because we do have capacity limits in the building. We have contact tracers. Um, you know, it adds to the financial uh, load of our organization to be able to do that. But on in the same breath, we're so grateful to be seeing this easing of restrictions um, and we're hanging on. Um, you know, all of our tenants have come back. Every single one of them in the Forks market is open. Uh, the Johnson Terminal, I believe everyone has come back to the Johnson Terminal as well. Uh, some new businesses have even started to pop up. I mean, yeah, would you have thought about, you know, renting a fat tire bike a year ago? Well, this past winter, a new organization came to us and is doing a pop-up pilot called Kendrick's Outdoor Adventures, and they're renting fat tire bikes and um, snowshoes. So, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some innovation that's happening here too, and, and um, hopefully some of that sticks as well. Hey, that part of the trail that's uh, painted red, what do you use to, to yeah. color that? Do you, do you just dump, like, uh, strawberry Slurpees all over the ice? Or? <laughs> uh, no, although maybe that would have been a good idea. It is a vegetable-based uh, paint, um, and that's actually one of our warming huts, which um, it was part of our international competition this year. We decided last June to open the competition, even though we weren't 100% positive that we would be able to deliver on it. Um, obviously no international travel. The teams are from all over the world and usually do come in uh, to participate in the build of their huts. Couldn't do that this year. Um, and our warming huts, you know, the joke is that they're not really warm, um, but they're an art and architecture competition. And so Divergence, which was that piece, uh, was one of the winners. And um, it was a vegetable-based dye, and it was absolutely stunning and probably one of the most interesting. And what's great is that as you're skating the trail or walking the trail, we have signs up that tell you about those pieces. 
And it's just great to hear, you know, people going by arguing, you know, talking about debating what is art, what is architecture. And that's the whole point. Claire Mackay, VP of Strategic Initiatives for the Forks, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Claire, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. We're also asking you at 204-780-6868 to text us about the toy that you wish you still had or the toy that maybe you still have. Greg, we've got one on Barbie. That's right. Sheila sent this, and Sheila is a West Ender, so good morning to Sheila. And her sister, she says this, my sister and I are, I guess I can share this, 54 and 56 respectively. We still have a suitcase full of Barbies from the 1970s. We had so much fun playing with them. We saved them, but neither of us had a girl. We used game boards for walls, folded baby blankets for beds, setting up an area in the house to play for days. Our Barbies were not rich, so they drove cars and wore nice clothes owned by neighborhood friends. The good old days. And I had to know, Brett, if uh, Sheila had the Winnebago. Do you remember the the Barbie camper? (laughs) (laughs) She did not, unfortunately. Why do Barbies always go in suitcases? Like, we had that in one of those old school hardcover green i think it was with the of course it was green ugly interior and we just carted those barbies around and we didn't even have the winnebago i think we homemade it at winnebago with some cereal boxes or something i'm not even sure what and then you'd go to someone's house you'd be like oh my god they've got the winnebago is it the star traveler motorhome is that what it's called yes yes (laughs) i think uh when jerry dates that woman with the toy collection i think she has the she has the motor home, and that even gets Jerry and, of course, gets Elaine uh, very uh, excited as well. One of the things I have kept or came past, came with me and my mom is she was, uh, worked in the schools as a counselor, and so she always had to dress up for Halloween. And so we have a tickle trunk still full of costumes, and we also had that when we were kids. And so it was much better than the suitcase. Way cooler to have things in the trunk kind of like Mr. Dress Up. Yeah, no kidding. Go. When you can have a trunk yeah. full of stuff. Like I had a, a toy, we just called it the toy box, but it was basically a wooden trunk. And uh, it was really neat. I wish I still actually had that. That would actually be kind of a handy piece of furniture plus it it also doubled as a seat so right uh, yeah it was kind of shaped like a bench yeah double has double the only problem with this tickle trunk is my mom's my mom's tiny and so all the costumes i'm just the fat version of so it's like <laughs> oh no she, no i'm, I'm not on. joking i go to put she's just she's just really fit and small so i go to put on a witch costume like this fat witch go to put on a baseball player costume fat baseball player just looks that way because it's so tight and then i'm like can i go out the only thing that's been good in it is that it was this pumpkin like, you know, you, you just basically throw on this orange sack. And so you're already going to be larger in that. So that one fits. Does that have like the wire frame around it that's sort it's of just, expanded? It, oh, it's got the green tights and everything. And I rolled into the kids' classroom with that a couple of years ago. And nice. they're just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the red and oh the that is dynamite. <laughs> uh, question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. Manitoba has announced new considerations for further reopening. What do you think of them? 
40% say slow down. We're not out of the woods yet. 32% say doesn't go far enough. And 28% say seems just about right. We also threw that up on Twitter at 680CJOB where 36, it's a close race there too. 36% say doesn't go far enough. 34% seems just right. 30% say slow down. But when it comes to surveys as well, Loren, uh, the province once again asking for our feedback. Yeah, and I, there's a couple questions I want to ask listeners and you this morning is about the fact that do you like these surveys? Do, do you like getting a chance to weigh in? Or are you thinking, why are we doing them? You know, this is, comes up every single time. Like, you know, it's supposed to be following the scientists, and yet here we are. Are we really listening to the surveys? How much of the survey is weighted in the decisions being made? Or is it really more just about finding about where people are at? And if they are going to reopen, what's the overwhelming majority in favor of? And so that's one of the questions that we have always been asking. I think this is the third public engagement survey, maybe even the fourth uh, that we've done in the last three months. And so I, I know we've had listeners weigh in on that this morning. And then the other thing is the gatherings. And I personally speaking, this is the one I keep waiting to see some movement on because that's, I think, has been the hardest part as a family with kids and them just wanting to have friends over or go to a friend's house and the whole designating two thing just didn't really work out the way I thought it would. And so that's been a challenge Then changing this to either being keep your designated two or have a designated entire household as part of your bubble, so to speak, I think just maybe adds to the confusion and it's going to lead grade to people just saying, you know what, that sounds like two plus four, let's make it eight, let's stick with eight and be comfortable with that. I feel like that's going to just make things far looser than they should be as well. Well, I'd like to see surveys on more things that governments do, sure. uh, not less. So this might be sent setting an interesting precedent. And I think we've used this example before, but I think it was the first survey where Manitobans kind of very, almost as one said, uh, no travel from Ontario and Quebec, please, because that was going to be part of the reopening plan last summer. And I think, like I said, a vast majority of people said, no, we're not ready for that. So that was taken off the table, according to the Premier, based on the results of that survey. So I'll take his word at that. Uh, and with regards to the increasing the numbers of forget togethers, I don't like what's the scuttlebutt on the street? Like, what are people talking about? Are, are they adhering to this? two people thing or are they already creating their own bubbles because if we're doing it on the sly i suspect the government knows that and so if they're not moving a lot on this i think it's because they already know that people are writing their own rules on this you both had me and lost me at scuttlebutt love that word <laughs> I was intrigued. I was engaged. And I also was like, gosh, we got to use scuttlebutt. What's the scuttlebutt, Brett, for our next segment? <laughs> the scuttlebutt is we are going to the Heights. We're going to talk to Tony Sawicki from Silver Heights Restaurant. He's also the chair, Manitoba Food Services and Restaurant Association Board of Directors. To ask him, does the 50% change possible change will that make a difference in your restaurant because we've heard from other restaurateurs who say a 200 percent capacity wouldn't make a difference if you keep the household only rule because they're saying people want to go to restaurants with people from outside of the household i've been cooped up with these people for almost a year you're telling me i gotta go to they're the only people i can go to a restaurant with exactly Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Hi there. It's Friday, and uh, I'm excited that it's Friday. Normally, I would be excited because I could go out 
with some friends to a restaurant in normal times, but of course we're not in normal times. And as you've been hearing in our global newscast with Jeff Braun this morning, the province is considering loosening COVID-19 public health orders further, removing some limits on outdoor gathering sizes and restaurant capacity. Yeah, they're also looking at raising capacity limits at stores and personal service operations to 50% from the current 25, but I believe there's still a cap on the overall number. It would be capped still, I think, at around 250. They're looking at allowing households the choice of continuing to designate two visitors to their home or to choose a second household to visit one another, as long as they've all agreed and authorized those designated individuals to both go to and from those homes. And here's the caveat. You'd have to choose whether you want that designated to or the additional household plan. And there's also conversation about outdoor gatherings and increasing them to 10 and increasing the capacity sizes, Greg, at places of worship to 25% or 100 people, whichever would be lower. Yes, and also among the possibilities, increasing restaurant capacity to 50% from the current 25%. It's what wouldn't change that has restaurant operators left Shaking their head. Tony Sawicki is co-owner of Silver Heights Restaurant, chair of the Manitoba Food Services and Restaurant Association Board of Directors. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? We're doing all right, craving uh, some uh, food from the Heights, let me tell you that. Uh, on yeah, the well, ta- we miss your faces. <laughs> we appreciate that, brother. Hey, on the table is this potential move to 50% capacity. However, tables would continue to be limited to members of the same household. How is this restriction getting in the way of some genuine traction for restaurants that have, in fact, decided to open at 25%, Tony? Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. We were sitting there waiting, idling, trying to find out some news and hoping we would get, uh, uh, you know, some restrictions lifted, and which they are. But with the same household, it's kind of like a smoke show. Uh, adding uh, extra 50% capacity and just keeping it at the same household didn't do anything for any in our industry at all. It's uh, adding more stress to an already stressful situation with the same household. So that's something that uh, has to be lifted um, we are not even hitting our 25% mark. So adding 50% didn't do anything. So even with the 25%, you're not hitting the mark. If it was 25% capacity without the household rule, do you think that would change things? Absolutely. Right now, we're, we're all we're doing, we're sitting in an empty restaurant, uh, waiting for people to come in. And, you know, they, they walk up to the front door, they see about a hundred different signs and forums and then they get asked about uh you know where they've been uh, are they feeling sick uh where's their id phone number all that kind of stuff being harassed at the front door and now they don't have id and you got to turn them away so people are actually you know and those people that you know want to come out they want to come out with their friends so they just cannot come out they don't want to take the chance they don't want to put the restaurant in that situation or that uh in that you know in that state so people are just not coming out and it's, a, it's that fear that's still out there right now that uh you know for a whole year our rest the industry has been targeted for you know called dangerous and uh risky we just got to get the public confidence back in there that uh, it's safe to come out you know every restaurant's been putting up the safety dividers and the sanitization and keeping everybody their staff and customers safe and we just got to feel comfortable coming out and it's it's everybody's got to get on board with that you know, you mentioned those safety dividers, and on your website it has the picture of the gla- the plexiglass or whatever you want to call it you've put between a lot of your tables. And, and so you yeah. did that because you wanted to comply and make people feel as safe as possible. And then with these 
rules around household gatherings. I know people are going to some restaurants and saying, well, can we just sit at two tables, um, yeah. which, some, which, which is in theory allowed. And I saw someone do that at a cafe the other day. They sat at two different tables, had a chat as two friends from a distance. But you went out of your way to put in these glasses. And so you, can you even offer that as an option to people who might show up from two different households, Tony? Yeah, so now that's what's going on right now. We're having two people coming in. They're sitting six feet apart. They're yelling at each other, turning music down. We can't talk to each other. But in my dining room, we had Security Glass, an uh, amazing company, come in and put all these dividers up in between each table on hinges. So if I do have a table that, you know, there are two tables six feet apart, I can put that divider on a hinge up against the wall, and now they can see each other. So or talk to each other. It's, it's But that's taking up more of your space then, too. That's kind of a yin and a yang with that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, one of those things that we, t- we we put in prior, hoping that we we're going to be open up at 50% or even up to 100% and uh, adding dividers so we can actually use all the tables. But now we're, you know, out of my 100-seat uh, dining room, I'm allowed 25 people. And that's the scary part. On a Saturday night, I'm still getting maybe 8 to 10 people. So that's the reality that we're, we're all sitting in right now. You know, as a private citizen, I'm glad that there are some people who are hesitant to go out, Tony, because if we were all rushing out, I don't know how comfortable I would be. But as a former restaurant guy, and well, that's like being a former Winnipegger, once a restaurant guy or or gal, always it's in your blood. And so I'm really feeling for you right now. Along the way yeah. here, you know, the province is, we mentioned the survey that the province uh, has issued a minimum of three times now. The province is asking Manitoba to weigh in on these proposed changes through this online survey. What seat at the table has the restaurant industry had at the table? And what explanations have you had about why things are the way they are over the past several weeks? See, we're not being consulted with these decisions. Uh, you know, there's, you know, we're at the table. We're, we're trying to get at the table. We we have our our meetings and our presentations and our statistics and our facts, and we give them exactly what what the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry is going through and what we need. Uh, and then it's almost like it's going on deaf ears. Uh, it's just uh, it's very disheartening, right? So. Yeah, we need to get on that table. We need to show them what's going on, and they have to listen to us, you know, and they have to understand that this is actually hurting this entire industry. There's a lot more restaurants are going to be suffering or closing those doors. We opened, some of the restaurants opened at 25% just to take that chance, knowing full well that 5% we didn't work. And now to have this uh, 25, uh, sorry, the same household just added another little wrench to the to the, to the business. Well, and St. Patrick's Day is not far away and I know a lot yeah. of restaurants, a lot of establishments uh, would will rely on that as well. I mean, you have a lounge in your establishment, so I would imagine St. Patrick's Day goes off well under normal circumstances. It's one of our busiest days of the year. You know, we have Valentine's, we have St. Patty's Day, New Year's Eve, Mother's Day. Those are all big ones that we actually lost all this entire year. Uh, we actually shut down uh, at the morning of St. Patty's Day last year for the first time. Um, just because, you know, we were, you know, it was brand new to us. We weren't uh, wanting to be the one of the ones that uh, caused any kind of uh, uh, spreading or whatever it was at that time, you know, the unknown. Um, now with this, uh, you know, I'm allowed 25 people. So that means I'm not going to be putting bands on. I'm not going to have uh, the leprechauns running around and the Irish stew. And you know, we're, it's not going to be a, a fun party anymore. I'm not even quite sure who's going to come out for that you know, so we, we're going to continue with the green beer and do all that kind of stuff. But uh, with the, you know, 
friends go out together and, you know, that's, it's already said no to that. Tony Sawicki, co-owner of Silver Heights Restaurant, chair of the Manitoba Food Services and Restaurant Association Board of Directors. Tony, thank you very much for the time. We very much appreciate it, bud. Thank you. Have a good day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have been taking a trip down memory lane this morning through your text messages on the toys that you wish you still had or some of the toys that you still have. And we appreciate very much uh, all of the stuff that you've been sending us. I still have a My Pet Monster. I don't know if you remember My Pet Monster, but I've still got two of them, actually. And uh, <laughs> they're because I can't even have a pet, they like hang out with me in my living room. And sometimes I talk to them, which probably means I need to have a conversation with Dr. Raymond Abderrahman after the show. But like we got this one from Pete, who says, uh, I have a Strombecker race set special edition from the Bay. My friends and I got together and put our tracks in one large loop. Soon we had the whole basement covered from end to end. And he's got a picture of the box. I'm trying to figure out how old that is, but it's got to be at least 40 years old, I would imagine. What's it called again, Brett? The Strombecker road racing set. The heck is Strombecker? That's just the brand, I guess, by Strombecker. Uh, that's from Pete at 750 if you want to have a peek at the picture, Loren. But that looks, that's a, and that sounds super fun to combine all your tracks. <laughs> this is going for a pretty penny on eBay if he wants to uh, get in on that. Really? Action. Like 200 bucks. Wow. Unless that's what it originally cost, and then therefore you're, <laughs> you've got zero win on that whatsoever. <laughs> $200 then versus now, though. He's probably ahead, actually. Yeah, and Scott is saying, I'm sure you remember Hot Wheels and the toy car race sets. Oh. I had so much fun with the Hot Wheels. and well, making they're little... still now, the, Brett. The orange tracks, do you remember those? And the yeah. launcher that you could get? You put your car in there and you just kind of slap oh, yeah. it down and boom, away it would go. And then you'd make this loop-de-loop. Oh, that was, that was hours of fun. But we, the three of us were just floored. When we got a text from Dave, who refers to himself as the Star Wars aholic, and Dave is our winner. Greg, what did Dave share with us? These pictures are phenomenal. They look like they are taken, like they're stills right out of the Star Wars movies. Dave says this, like many kids, I used to collect the Star Wars toys. I could when The Force Awakens came out. It prompted a new love for Star Wars toys in 2015, which ignited a boom in the toy photography for many, including myself and my son. Well, since then, we've grown a new love for collecting and the hobby of toy photography. Here are a few pics. You can see, uh, set out the entire collection of toys and photos on Instagram. Pardon me, you can see those on Instagram, at Star Wars Aholic. I could fill you in on just how huge this community has become since 2015, but I would need an hour. (laughs) Anyway, have a great day, guys. These photos are spectacular. So, Dave, congratulations. Star Wars-aholic, you win the $20 gift card from San Lucia Pizza. He has shared some of these pictures with us. We are going to share them on our 680CJOB Instagram in just a few moments. And, Greg, you described it perfectly. There are some of these where I thought, like, this. there's one that appears to have rain falling. Like, this looks like a shot of uh, the Mandalorian, or maybe that's snow. I don't know. But it looks like like he grabbed a still from the show, and uh, it's a toy that he's taking a picture of. Marvelous. Outstanding stuff. Dave, thank you very much for this. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.